0: Assalamu alaykum wa everybody, and welcome home. For the past few years, we've always started our programs with this statement, and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home, a place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility, and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah describes faith in the Qur'an, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet came to Medina and made the migration, the hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus Salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas, that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots Community Space, a place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community, following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina, help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org/home. Okay, Assalamu alaikum wa wabarakatuh. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, Wa salatu wa ala rasulillah wa ala wa So, guys, everybody, welcome home. Hope you guys are enjoying ice cream. The Boba bars are elite. Mashallah. you guys. I didn't get too many of those, but. Insha'Allah, we'll be able to have those on deck at Sufba, insha'Allah. So a couple, um, just some housekeeping. The, the root space that's under construction, the, the back, we're like 90% done. We just have to build out the coffee shop. That's the last piece. Uh, and we're meeting with the contractors, inshallah this week to see what the timeline is for that. But um, we're almost there, inshallah. We're almost there. We could actually technically start having programs there, but without the without sufba it would just feel kind of uh, empty. So... We're going to wait, inshallah, until that's done. But we're hoping, uh, you know, by next month, uh, just a few more weeks, and we should be able to get uh, inside of there and then start to have our full uh, docket of programming per usual, inshallah. Um, okay, so we are tonight, the plan is, inshallah, to finish the first passage uh, of Surah Al-Kahf, which is the passage that discusses or talks about the uh, people of the cave, Ashab Al-Kahf, those people which the Surah itself is named after. Um, and we stopped last week at a point where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had described in great detail, the way in which He cared for and the way in which He maintained um, the people of the cave. And we came upon them at the story of when they woke up, when they were going out to uh, get some provisions, some food, Uh, the importance that they put upon having, uh, you know, pure food, healthy food, uh, you know, Islamically appropriate food, and just kind of the idea of the principles that these young people um, had. Um, Verse number 21, if you have your phone with you, Quran.com, Quran.com slash, uh, you can do 20 to 30, because we're going to be doing all that, inshallah. So verse number 21 subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by addressing how the people of the village, when they had this legend of these people, you know, for three hundred years, that they had been, they had run away, and they had tried to preserve their faith. There, they're sort of, you know, grew about these individuals, the people of the cave, this legend of these guys who wanted to preserve their faith, and the respect and the admiration grew. To the point where over three centuries, uh, you know, there was, the people were like telling their children, they were telling them the story of Ashab al But nobody knew a couple things, like nobody knew exactly who they were, nobody knew where they were, nobody knew the exact location of the cave. And so when the people of the cave were woken up by Allah after their lengthy uh, slumber, the 309 years, um, this caused people to want to celebrate and to want to commemorate the, uh, the miracle that they had witnessed. So Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says that this entire experience, this entire moment, the reason why Allah allowed it to happen in this way, as He says in verse number 21, is how we cause them to be discovered so that their people might know Allah's promise of resurrection is true. So all of this occurred, all of these moments occurred. These young men ran away from their tyrannical society to preserve their faith. They stayed locked up in a cave for over 300 years. They fell into slumber. Allah preserved them and their dog, right, for those years. And when they awoke, when they were caused to wake up, they went back into the city and they engaged with some businesses to purchase some food, to take care of themselves, to provide provision. And Allah says that all of this, this entire experience happened. Why? So that Allah Ta'ala could make manifest and make clear that resurrection is true. And this promise, it happens in the Qur'an numerous times, where Allah Ta'ala will demonstrate the power of what we think like life and death looks like. Allah will demonstrate that over and over again, so that He can illustrate to us that this idea of being brought back to life as much as it is kind of mysterious for us, for him, it's not that hard. In fact, it's not hard at all. One of the examples Allah Ta'ala brings of this phenomenon is when he says that, you know, the earth is full of greenery and lushness and fruits and trees are blooming. And then all of a sudden the weather changes, things get cold, the frost hits. I know right now we're asking Allah for a frost, but the frost hits and the earth, you know, in, in the language that he uses, the earth dies. The earth all of the vegetation goes away, the trees lose their leaves, everything loses its color, and the earth just kind of freezes over. And then the next year, when springtime comes around, the entire process, it renews itself, and it feels like the earth has come back to life. So Allah, he uses this example to demonstrate and say that if I can cause this to happen year by year, every single year, all of the plants that you grow, all of the harvest that you look forward to, the trees that you have, they all pass away, and then I bring them back to life just a few months later, he says, then why, why do you think that I can't do this with you? So this example was given so that the people would come to know in a very intimate way that uh, this day of judgment, the day of resurrection is possible. Then Allah says that when the people disputed with each other about the case of the youth after their death, some of them proposed to build a structure around them. Their Lord knows best about them. And those who prevailed in the matter said, we will surely build a place of worship over them. So these people became... Again, we know that in the Sharia, we don't like, build places of worship uh, over graves, but this became a commemorative act. These people were inspired by the dedication, the principle, and this is the lesson from that beginning part of the story, which is that if you stay true to your principles, then your mission will last even longer than your life should. Like Your mission will last. We were talking about this today, actually, or in Faith Intensive in the morning. Uh, it's a seminar that we're teaching, the intensive that we're teaching this week. We we're talking about how Allah subhanahu ta'ala he describes the Prophet by saying that Muhammad is not one of your fathers. He's not somebody that's just like one of your people, one of someone who's who's a father of one of you. And one of the tafsirs of that ayah says that if you look at the life of the Prophet, he passes away, السلام, but his message does not. And the fact that we're here sitting in this room talking about the very same revelation that was sent to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam trying to understand it better so that we can become closer to Allah is proof that if you stay connected to your mission, your legacy lives on far beyond your years. But if a person sells themselves out and they sell themselves short and they have no principles and they have no mission and they have really no purpose in terms of what they're living for, then people will attend your funeral, they'll bury your body and then a couple days later, they'll be at a wedding. And and the reality is that that's really how it works. People only remember you after you're gone by the, by the stuff that you lived by, right? The things that you chose to represent during your time on this earth, those representations are what carry on your legacy. But if you didn't represent anything, if it was only self-interest, pleasing myself, gratifying my needs, doing what I want, right? Like not many of us are, imagine that you're only known by the pictures of food you posted on Instagram. Right? Like, this person was like a, a food connoisseur, like, no, like you want to be known by things that are much more relevant and purposeful than that, hopefully, right, inshallah. So Allah subhanahu wa taala here is giving us that lesson, that these individuals, they out-survived or they out-lived, uh, you know their life with their principle. Then Allah taala in ayah number 22, He gives us a very interesting scenario. How many of you have ever been in an argument before? Anyone here? Been in an argument? No? Anybody? No arguments? Okay, thank you. Alright. How many of you the argument you were in was truly pointless? You guys have been like, okay, there we go. More people raise their hand. The argument you were in was absolutely and, and actually, to some degree, you got to a point where like you couldn't even remember what you were initially arguing about. Right? The the, the problem got so large and so intense that you couldn't even figure it out. So Allah subhanahu so wa ta'ala here, he demonstrates for us an example of when this happens. Okay? Ayah number twenty-two. He said some will say that there were three of them and their dog was the fourth. While others will say there were five and their dog was the sixth. And then he says, "Rajman ghaib That they are guessing blindly. The, the, the verb literally means that these people are tossing their answers out into the dark. Okay, they're just guessing blindly. It's interesting subhanAllah because these details that people are arguing about, the people of the cave and their dog, all they're arguing about is what? What are they arguing? What are they disagreeing about? The number, that's it. Okay? Now, there will be people that will come and say like, you know what, these numbers, these things, these details are absolutely critical. But the reality is Allah Ta'ala Himself demonstrates here by this example, that it is very possible that in life we are distracted, and we are vulnerable, made prone to what? Arguing about things that really have no impact on the actual things that we need to do. And people get so caught up in disagreeing and trying to prove their correctness in an argument that has no impact on the eventual reason why they exist. So in this argument, Allah Ta'ala is saying, some people said, you know what, there were three of them and their dog was the fourth. And then some people said, no, 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 there were five and their dog was the sixth. He says, they're guessing blindly. And then he says, others will say that there were seven and their dog was the eighth. The Prophet Sallallahu was taught to respond to these people and to tell them what? That, قُلْ Rabbi Allah Ta'ala knows their number. Allah Wa Ta'ala knows their number. This metaphor of arguing over the number of people in the cave, I can't tell you how many times you could be sitting at a gathering, like a, a dawad with some uncles, and this argument, if you just replace some of the variables and put them somewhere else and you change it, the exact same arguments are happening every weekend in Muslim households. Like, everyone has the answers to why, quote unquote, the Ummah is failing. Everybody knows, right? For some people, the Ummah is failing because of this. For some people, it's because of that. Meanwhile, they're discussing this over Gulab Jamun and Kir. Like, they're sitting and eating rice pudding and like, matluba, and they're like, this is why the Ummah is suffering, this is why Palestine will never be free, blah, blah, blah. Like, stuffing their face with goat. And it's such an interesting, because one of my teachers, he gave a very good phrase for this. He said, he called it slacktivism. He said, this isn't activism. People think that just sitting on comfortable couches and debating is activism. He goes, no, this is slacktivism. He goes, you're just sitting there and you feel comfortable because you're talking about the problems in society. But the reality is, when you go to bed that night, you have not been a cause for anyone's life to change. All you did was engage in rhetoric and conversation. And this happens. Many people get upset with different aspects. The government is cutting funding to what? To education. Okay, so why don't you go start an after-school program? No, 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 no. I just want to talk about how bad the government is. Okay, you can do that. You can sit there and post about how the Department of Education is underpaying and that teachers don't get their rightful salaries and all that. Or, or you could raise some money and start an after-school program for kids and really make a difference. The problem is the second version is way harder. It's way easier just to retweet. It's way easier just to share someone's post on Instagram, isn't it? But how much does that really accomplish? So Allah Ta'ala here is telling us that one of the greatest tools of Shaytan is distraction with the convincing argument that you are actually accomplishing something virtuous by sitting there and debating. If you walked up to these people debating the number of people and the dog, and said, why are you talking about this? Astaghfirullah, we're talking about Ashab al-Kahf. How dare you challenge this? But Allah Himself follows up this conversation by saying, why are you arguing about the number of people and their dog, right? He says, say, Allah knows best about their number. There are some matters in life where the best answer is what? Allahu A'la. The best, in fact, pretty much every question, mm-hmm. right? If you don't know with certainty, just say, Allah Alam, I once taught a Sunday school class where some kid wrote that on every exam. And I can't mark him wrong, right? So I just said, see me after class, you know? He might be a wali of Allah, you never know, right? It, th- th- this is what Allah is teaching us. Allah is telling us, you know, have you guys ever been pushed to have an opinion on something? What do you think about this? And you're, you're just like, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Are you against it? No, 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 I don't know. Are you for it? No, I don't know. Allah is telling us that in some scenarios, not having an opinion is A-OK. Not knowing what the right answer is, is just fine. There are some matters in life where the ultimate truth with a capital T, like haq, is with Allah alone. And we have to submit to that. If we think that we can somehow navigate all these complexities, right, subhanAllah, all these complex issues. It's not even a matter of navigating. We've come to a stage in our society where people know what they think is the truth almost immediately with no research and no experience. People are willing to comment on like big issues without any understanding of what the reality is, even theoretical or on the ground. So this ayah subhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala is reminding us there will be many moments, there will be many issues, many questions where قُلْ رَبِّ أَعْلَمُ بِإِدَّتِهِمْ Allah Ta'ala knows exactly their number. And then he continues, وَمَا يَعْلَمُهُمْ إِلَّا قليل. And not a lot of people know. He tells us that the majority of people when it comes to matters like this, they're ignorant. There's only a few people who know. So then he continues and he says, فَلَا تُمَارِي فِيهِمْ إِلَّا مِرَأً ظَاهِرًا Do not discuss these things. When you come across a conversation and somebody tries to engage, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Allah says, فَلَا تُمَارِيْ. Tumari here means, mira'ah means to argue, jidal. Don't get into a debate, don't get sucked in. This is one of shaitan's greatest tools, right? That you get sucked into a debate, and then what happens? You see a comment on someone's Instagram post, or you see a comment on Facebook, and you start opening up Google tabs, right? And searching, searching, searching. And every time you come across the argument that's not your own, you're like, dang, you cancel it out, right? And you're really trying to win this argument. This is making no one happy but shaitan. Shaitan wants to see you waste your time. So Allah Ta'ala here says, you're not allowed to do this. Now the question naturally comes, then the question arises, well, what happens when you do have to engage with somebody? Like somebody is just clearly wrong. What happens? Well, as with everything in Islam, there's a protocol. You know, Islam is so beautiful, not that it just tells us what to do not just tells us like what we have to do but it also tells us how and it gives us a methodology it gives us the ability to understand the method of how to do these things so allah ta'ala here mentions the word mirah, which means jidal. how does a muslim person engage in argumentation you guys tell me how does a muslim person engage in debate sorry if there's any uk muslims how does a muslim person engage in debate in those moments where you have to you guys have any like ethics of debate that you engage in if you're discussing with somebody? Let's say you're talking to somebody and you really disagree with them about something. Someone said what, smack them? <laughs> no. What happened? Respectfully. Respectfully, there are go. the opposite, okay. Respectfully, that's good. Okay, but how? What does that look like? Yeah? Sorry, a little bit louder? Okay, good, yeah, excellent. So you find some similarities. Number one, You want to build off of some common ground. This is actually from the end of engaging in discussion with somebody. They always say that you should begin and end, like give an appetizer and a dessert before you go to the main course. It's like an interesting statement that they say. So if you're debating with somebody, you should find a common ground first because then you're showing what? You're demonstrating what? That we can agree on something. Like we can agree, we're not like enemies. Okay, we can agree on something. Now what happens is the nefs, the ego doesn't want to do that. The nefs wants to find you know, uh, uh, you know, nothing in common with the person that you disagree with. If you look at like athletes, when they play people, they say that Tim Duncan, who used to play for the Spurs, was like the hardest person to play against. And you ask people who played against him, why? They said, because in the beginning of the game, he would compliment you. So you're playing and you make a shot, he's like, great shot, and he's on the other team. And then, like, you would block him? And he's like, good block. And the people playing against him said, it was so hard to get angry at him. Because in order for me to succeed in sports, I have to get angry. I have to want to like, just destroy this guy. But then every time I made a shot, he's like, you're the best. And you're like, How? and then by the third quarter, he has double the amount of points you do. Because he softened you up, right? So there is a strategy, out to law to when you have to go against someone's idea, to soften them up a little bit. If you really want to win, the problem is the, the ego, the nafs, doesn't want to convince the person. The nafs wants to stomp on that person. And so it's not about getting them to agree. It's about getting them to know that they're wrong. Okay? So let's talk a little bit. There's a scholar by the name of uh, Nahlawi. He's a, uh, a Syrian scholar. and He wrote, actually, a commentary on how to engage in argumentation. Especially in this time, in this day and age, there are so many things that you fundamentally might just disagree with somebody about. That person might be in your family, your friend circle, at work, okay? So it's important for Muslims to understand, like, we have an ethical code of how we engage in these conversations. The first thing that we're told is that you are not allowed to engage in debate where you are purposely trying to pick on someone in three ways. Number one, in their word choice. Let's say that you're talking to somebody about something, you're debating something, and the person brings up and they accidentally use the wrong word, but you know that it's not what they meant. The scholars say, don't be the person that says, what do you mean by that? Do you even know what that word means? And to pick on their incorrect usage, because what you're doing there is you're building another wall. They say, don't pick on their words, don't pick on their intention, and don't pick at the meaning of what they're trying to say. All of these are like low blows, as they call them. They're not actually addressing the real issue. If you disagree with somebody about something, Address the real issue. Don't try to humiliate them. The scholars say that if you use any tactic that tries to make, uh, they say like you, you make the person feel low and small, or you make the person feel embarrassed, like you're trying to win almost performatively. Just make them feel like humiliated. The scholars say, you're not actually trying to bring about the truth, you're just trying to bring about your own victory. You're not actually concerned about bringing about the truth, you're bringing about your own victory. Imam al Shafi'i, the great scholar, he used to say, when I stepped onto a, uh, you know, a room, when I went into a room and I was debating somebody about something, I used to make a very interesting du'a. He said, I would walk in and I would say, Oh Allah, make the truth come from their tongue, not mine. He would walk into the room and he would say, Make the truth arrive from them, not from me. Why? Why do you guys think he would make that du'a? Would you do that? you're discussing something with somebody, would you want them to win before the debate has even started? Why do you think you would say this? check his ego. Huh? Check his ego. To check his ego, right? When you make that du'a Allah, let them say the truth, what are you showing? You're not you just want the truth. You're not in it for yourself. It is the ultimate test of sincerity. It's not about whether or not you did it. Sincerity is very difficult because it removes you from the equation. There's that famous Sheikh always story where he said that there was a person one time who cooked dinner for his friends. Everyone walked in, said, man, your wife is a great cook. He's like, I cooked it. The next guy walked in, man, your wife is an excellent cook. He said, I cooked it. Three, four guys walked in, all complimented his wife's cooking. He said, I cooked it. I cooked it. And then finally, the fifth guy walked in and said, who cooked this? He goes, it doesn't matter who cooked it. She cooked it. Right? He got upset. And Sheikh Shahrawi uses the story to show that what, if you're a truly good host, you actually don't care who gets a compliment doesn't matter if you cooked it, they cooked it, who, you catered, who doesn't All that matters is that your guests are having a nice time, and that they're enjoying their meal, right? So true sincerity, it removes me from the equation. Like I'm out of this. I don't care if I'm right or you're right. I just want the correct thing, whatever it is, to be present, okay? That's number one. The Prophet even said that in most scenarios, giving up an argument is the best case scenario. The hadith of the Prophet whoever gives up arguing when they're wrong, okay, you're wrong and you give up. Which means what? Most people when they're wrong, they don't give up, they keep going. He said that they will get a house built for them on the, uh, on the outskirts of Jannah, like the Denton of Jannah, okay? <laughs> you will get a house built for you on the outskirts of Jannah, <laughs> On the outskirts of Jannah. He said that if you, and then the next level, if you give up debating and you're right, you know you're right, then you will get a house built for you in the middle, like in the center of Jannah. In the the middle part, okay? And then the third part of the hadith says, and if you have good character when you give it up, the argument, then you will get a a house built in the highest part of Jannah. The interesting part of the hadith is the last part. Because why? You can give up a debate and still make the person feel like a loser. What can you say you're like you know i'm not even going to talk to about this you clearly don't know anything right and then you walk away you're like middle of you here i come no that's not how you give up a debate even if you know you're right right giving up a debate even if you know you're right is allowing the, the they call it this i hate using this word because it make me look like a nerd but the interlocutor right the person that's engaging with you it gives that person a sense of what like i'm not we're not enemies so you give up even if that person is not right. SubhanAllah, sometimes, man, you know, I have two young kids, if you guys haven't known, there's one person here who doesn't like my son, but Musa and Iman, no, I'm joking, there's a guy who complained that I told too many stories about my kids, but it is what it is, okay? So, Musa and Iman, five and three, I promise you, when I talk to them, I just see a spiritual mirror for us. Like Musa's biggest challenge in life right now is he has to correct Iman when she's wrong. He has to. So, you know, it's 110 degrees. They want to go outside. I say, guys, it's too hot. Musa says, man, I like it when it's cold better. Because I can go outside, I can play. Iman says what? What did she say? No, she didn't say me too. She goes, no, hot is better. Musa looks at her and he's like, you're crazy. And she's like, I know. Like her eyes say, I know. She's just trying to step up to him. That's it. So I'm trying to teach Musa, like, Musa, you know, she's just bothering you. She literally doesn't care. It could be anything. You could say red, she would say green. You could say blue, she would say yellow, like whatever. And he doesn't get it. He's like, no, Baba, she's wrong. And when he acts like that, I get so frustrated. But in reality, how many of us are like the same way? We're just children. Like the nufus inside of us are just childish. We don't want to give up. Why? Because I have to make sure that I'm right. This is a five-year-old child behavior. This is not a behavior of an adult. So, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi says that it's best for us just to give it up. Now, Imam An-Nawi gives a couple conditions. He says, what if you hear something that is wrong? He actually says that for most cases, if you hear something and it's true, he says, just leave it like it is. Then he says, if you hear something that's wrong, but it has nothing to do with your religion, like it's not like a faith-based thing, it's just somebody saying something like, oh, like... New York pizza is better than Chicago pizza. Objectively false, okay? Like, <laughs> not true at all. Or like, the Cowboys are going to make the playoffs. Objectively false, okay? You know that this is not true, right? He Imam, Imam Inouye says, if it has nothing to do with your religion, like, just let it, just let it be. Don't engage, okay? Then he says that if it does have something to do with your religion, what do you guys think? What does he say? If they say something wrong about your religion, like about your dean. What do you think Imam Noi advises? Pray for them. Punches. No. What? <laughs> Pray for them. A, a little bit different, maybe. What do you think he says? He Imam Noah says what? It's okay if you're wrong. Don't worry about it. Ask for the source. Ask for the source. Interesting. Okay, that could be part of it. Okay. What? What do you think he says? You know what he says. He goes, you're allowed to converse with them to try to correct them. But he says, if you think that they will accept it, if you think this person won't accept it and they're not interested in conversation, he said, just leave it. So you have to gauge the situation. If you're talking to somebody and they say something wrong and you're like, that's not right, but you look at them and they don't seem like they want to really talk about it. They're kind of set. Then Imam no, he says, the better situation is you just leave it. Just let it be, right? SubhanAllah, this is so important. Do you know how many problems in life we have would be solved if we embraced silence in certain scenarios? How many statements have been uttered that had hurt people because we just made the wrong decision in that moment? We shouldn't have said anything. Whether it was talking back to parents, whether it was saying something critical about somebody, Arguing, saying, they'll get, trying to get the last word. All of these are nothing but like nafsical flare-ups. Just what the nefs wants. Like symptoms of a sick heart. We ask Allah Ta'ala to help us. Okay? So, Imam Nawi also says that it is incumbent upon a devoted Muslim to interpret the statement of their brother or sister with the best possible interpretation. You know how hard that is? I think we do the opposite, huh? We hear something and we're like, what a horrible person. But they could have meant something different, right? Imam Anowi says, when you hear something, give it the best possible interpretation. Even that you make up, as he said, 70 excuses for them. And he said that this actually is not very difficult. To make up excuses for somebody is very easy. except a person with low iman. He goes, the one who struggles to give excuses to people, it's a sign that their faith is weak. We ask Allah to make our faith strong. Okay, Um, then he concludes this section by quoting a beautiful hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam it's very scary the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that no people that have been guided to Islam have gone astray from their belief except that they became constant argumentative people that's the reason why they left he said no people that were guided to Islam left the straight path, except that they embraced arguing as a, as a personality trait. It was part of their life. So the Prophet Salsam is warning us. He's saying, if you argue, if you debate, if you fight with people, and you think that this is something noble, it's, it's best that you take a step back and reassess and reevaluate. Because you might very well be carving your own exit from the very identity of your faith that you think that you belong to. Okay? We ask Allah to protect us. Um, okay, so in the end of this verse, Allah says that only a few people know the matter, so do not argue except with sure knowledge, nor consult any of those who debate about them. So do not try to become social or engage in discussion with those people who also engage in debate. The next verse is Allah addressing some of the very initial uh, uh, conversation we had about Surah Kahf. Do you guys remember why the Surah was What's a surprise? Ask him about Bulkar name. Okay. The Prophet. Sold moment for the Prophet because this obligation was not sent down until this. So Allah sends down this verse now, after waiting for 14 days, one day goes by, two days go by, three days, four, five, six, all the way up to 14, I want you to imagine, these people come back to his door and they're like, any answer yet? And by the end of it, they're just straight mocking him, you have no idea what you're talking about, this and this, and the Prophet is feeling the pressure. Because he's the one who told them, I'll tell you tomorrow. So they come up to him and they're mocking him. Finally, Allah sends this revelation of Surah Kahf. And when He sends this revelation, the 23rd ayah says what? Which is the next verse. He says, Do not say about anything that you will do it tomorrow. Illa except that you include in that statement, if Allah wills it. that he says, and if you forget Allah, remember him when you forget him. If you forget, remember to mention Allah when you forget, because maybe and say, I trust my Lord will guide me to what is more right than this. How many of us have like a deathly fear of not saying inshallah when we want something? You guys get like you guys experience some anxiety. If you say something you really want and someone doesn't say, inshallah, you're like, say insha'Allah. <laughs> right, say it now. Okay? This verse actually is a huge paradigm shift, subhanAllah. This verse is addressing the Prophet wa sallam, teaching us something very critical. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say to say, inshallah, with the big things. He doesn't say, don't talk about something that you really want, except that you say inshallah. What does he say? Don't say anything that you plan to do, except that you include in that statement, that if Allah wills it. Why? You tell me, why is it so critical? If I told you, hey, I'm gonna go walk over there and get a plate, right? And then I don't say inshallah that's not listening to the verse. It sounds almost kind of like too much. Like, man, if I tell you I'm gonna go walk over and get my shoes, should I say inshallah for that too? This verse is saying, yeah, everything that you do, if you proclaim that you have an intention to do something, you should say inshallah. Why do you think that is? To remember God. Huh? To remember remember Allah, okay, but why? Like, what does it do to that moment? Yes? Okay, good, because you're recognizing that there is no strength and no power except by Allah. Okay, what else? Yeah. In the back, yeah, blue shirt. Yeah, you. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. To remind yourself, remember that Allah Taala is the Lord. Yes. And also, He's the most powerful. Okay, and He's got that. He's got the power to allow you to do things. What else? Anyone else? Huh? Yeah, very good. That's another one. We'll talk about that to make it a habit. Yes? Uh, it becomes a thicker and increases your taqwa. Okay, it becomes a, a means of increasing your taqwa. How? It's a dhikr. You're constantly remembering Allah and thinking about it. That word you said, constantly, that's the key. Are we in constant existence of the blessing of Allah? Yeah. We are constantly. You know how I know? Did you guys just breathe right now? Did you just blink? Can you guys hold your eyes open and not blink? Can you not breathe? How long would you last? Don't try it please, we don't have any any paramedics. These ideas are laughable to us because we know that there are certain behaviors that we have to, subconsciously. We have to allow them to occur, otherwise we can't function. Breathing. Your heart is beating and you don't have control over it. You can't even stop your heart beating, no matter what Love Movie tells you. You cannot, right? The broken heart stuff, it doesn't actually break your heart, right? You can't stop functioning certain parts of your body. Allah has guaranteed and has given you this privilege, this massive privilege, without us being even asking for it, right? SubhanAllah, so he's given us so many elements that he, we, don't even, we can't even count all of them. And so when a person fails to say inshallah, they are making, they're they're proclaiming their aspiration to do something without remembering who's gonna even let it happen in the first place, right? And that's why we remember with the really big things, right? So if somebody says like, oh, I'm going on vacation, inshallah, because they really want it to happen. And for that moment, they remember that if if Allah doesn't give me like health or if something happens to my flight or whatever, my reservation, it's not happening. So you admit and you submit to the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is in control. So the Prophet sallam, here is doing something good. He's trying to convince these Qureshi people that his message is in fact the truth. He's not doing anything bad, it's not even for him. But Allah is telling him, don't think for a moment that even your delivering of the message to these people is somehow only because of you. Whenever you intend on doing anything, the first step before you do something is trying to think about how has Allah given me the ability to do this. That's why before we eat, we say Bismillah. Because if, I, if somehow I can't lift this fork to my mouth, my body decides it doesn't want to digest this food, it could be sitting right in front of me and I can't, I can't eat it, right? I could have this water, but if my body's not taking it, I'm gonna drink this stuff and it's gonna go right through me. I can't benefit from this hydration. My body is dependent on so many things that I can't control, that I have to recognize that I need Allah in order for any of this to happen. So we say insha'Allah, as Muslims, we say insha'Allah as frequently as possible because it is a reminder. It is a reminder. But then right after that in the verse Allah Ta'ala says, وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ Remember God when you forget. So what does this mean? Allah is telling us what? That you are gonna what? You are gonna forget. It's natural, it's human, right? So what is your job when you forget? To make mention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The scholars say two things. Number one is that when you forget Allah, you should make mention of it by saying Allah. you should ask Allah for forgiveness for that temporary lapse. And you should also, if you forget to say inshallah, as soon as you remember, then you say inshallah, to make up for the forgetfulness, right? Now how can a person start to do this? Now there is actually a very famous hadith, it's in the Ar-Rahim, where a man came to the Prophet And he said, Ya Rasulullah, I want you guys to raise your hand if this sounds like fake. He says, Ya Rasulullah, this Islam that you've brought, this Sharia, like praying and fasting, it's too much, I can't do it. Like everything's too much. I can't fast Mondays and Thursdays. I can't pray like and tahaj. I can't do, I'm barely hanging on by a thread. So you know what he says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? I want you guys to imagine living in an era with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how much you would respect him how much you would never ask like these kinds of questions and then a Bedouin comes along from Denton, right? And they come to the Prophet Sallallahu <laughs> Alaihi and they say, Ya Rasulullah, I can't do all this stuff. The companions are like... <laughs> so he says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi give me something that I can do regularly, listen, ready? He says, and make it short please. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being of a bucket and listening to some guy walk up to the Prophet and say, Ya Allah, give me something I can do easily, and I don't have a lot of time. The Prophet laughs. He smiles. And he tells him one, one thing. And I know that we all laugh, but in reality, many of us maybe are feeling this or have felt this or will feel this. There's just too much to do. I, I want to get close to Allah, but there's not like the list is too long. Is there one thing that I can do that will just give me that consistent proximity to Allah that I need? The Prophet said, do not let your tongue ever become dry from the Thicket of Allah. Don't let your tongue ever become dry. Every moment that you remember, remember Allah. Whatever you see. This is why some people, they have this regimen every day on the hour, every hour, they'll make some afkar. They'll send salawat on the Prophet This is why when people wake up, they do some dhikr or they're playing at their house, because they know that they can't have the capacity to do all the other good deeds. A person can't read a juz a day. They can't pray qiyam every night. They can't give half their wealth in sadaqah. Like, some people just can't do this, right? Me included, you know, like everyone struggles. The Prophet recognized the difficulty for us, and he said, The one thing you can do that will save you from deficiency elsewhere, never let your tongue become dry from the remembrance of Allah. This is why when the Prophet here is being told by Allah, Always remember Allah when you forget. You know what's interesting? Muslims are not held to account for things that we forget. The hadith says that what? That the pen has been lifted from the person who is sleeping and the person who loses their sense. Their their faculty and the one who forgets. That's why when you're fasting and you drink water, what happens? You're still fasting. You're still fasting. Well, that's if you forgot. A trick question. If you're fasting, you drink water, you're in big trouble. I'm well, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. You're good. No, if you're fasting, you drink water, and you forget for some reason, you're just like, oh man, middle of Ramadan, it doesn't feel like it, and you just drink. Oh, you actually, the Prophet Alaihi Wasallam said, complete your fast. Don't break your fast because you forgot. The pen is lifted upon people that forget. If a person completely lost track of time and forgot about Salah, and they thought that they already prayed it, right? Then what happens? As soon as they remember they didn't pray, go pray it, you didn't miss it. Allah will count it as if you made it. Forgetfulness is something that Allah Ta'ala has forgiven from His mercy. But He says, when you remember that you forgot. When you remember that you've been forgetful, You have to bring yourself back onto the straight path. You can't live in the land of forgetfulness. This is a big challenge because you get comfortable forgetting, right? Oh, I missed that prayer. Let me do the next one, right? Or, oh, I did that. Let me, uh, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, right? People take advantage of the forgetfulness thing. You have to redirect yourself back onto the straight path as soon as you remember. Why? Because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi was told to say that this is the way in which you can guarantee that Allah Ta'ala will bring you back to what is the better decision, what is the better moment. You know what's interesting, SubhanAllah, we talked about this before, but there's one element I want to add here. When the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi forgot to say Inshallah, it was a teachable moment. Okay? Allah Ta'ala sent down this verse to teach him to do what? Say Inshallah, say Inshallah, and that's the lesson here. But what's interesting is that when we look at what happened as a result of this, we said a couple things. Number one is that it proved that the Prophet ﷺ was not a false prophet. Because a false prophet would have done what? Just made up stuff. A false prophet would have just made something up. If a false prophet said, I'll have an answer tomorrow, and tomorrow came, they would just make something up because they don't want to lose their reputation. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't do that. He waited, and waited, and waited, because he knows that this religion is not from his mind. He's not coming up with things on his own. So number one is that, even though he was in a, a point of difficulty, it actually established truth. It gave him an established truth. His reputation stayed there. The next thing is that, did the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi have miracles of his prophethood? Do you guys know of any? What happened during his prophethood? Did they prove that he was a messenger to these people? Name some, yeah. There was, a, there was a, a, a part of his, he had a mark on his back that was part of a prophecy. Very good. What else? What other miracles happened? You guys hear stories about miracles? Go back to Sunday school. Isra'an Ma'raj, very good. Okay, he visited the Holy Land, Jerusalem. May Allah Ta'ala uh, free it from his oppressors. He, he, he visited, he led the prayer there, visited through the heavens, went, visited the highest point, went beyond where anyone else could go, spoke to Allah in a way that befits him came back down one night. And when he came back down, all of these Quraishi elders were like laughing at him, but then they were like, okay, if you really went there, why don't you describe Aqsa to us? Describe to us the, 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 the Masjid, the, the sacred masjid, uh, uh, masjid Aqsa. And you know what happened at that moment? The Prophet describes, he said, when they came to me, they challenged me by saying, okay, tell us what it looks like. And he said, right then in that moment, An angel came. And an angel basically held up an image, a live feed. Back then, they wouldn't have understood what I was talking about. Now you get it. 4K, right? (laughs) Live feed of what was happening at Al-Aqsa at that moment. With every single detail shown to the Prophet. So as the people are standing in front of him, and they're like, we've been there, tell us what it looks like. The Prophet starts describing it has this many doors, this many windows. The eastern window has this mark on it. This door has this crack. And he gives them all the details, and they're sweating bullets. Because they're like, there's no way. We saw this guy go to bed last night, and we saw him this morning. There's no way he made it there and back. But he's describing an Aqsa to a T. Why? Because Allah sent down an angel to show him again, 4K, live feed. This is what it looks like. This is a miracle. What else happened? Any other miracles you guys remember? Split the moon, right? Very good. Now, this was a miracle to demonstrate his prophethood, yes? What happened? The Quran, yes. It was a, a literary miracle, okay? What else? An angel physically cleaned his heart. Okay, when he was a child, an angel physically cleaned his heart. This actually happened two times as well. Any miracles after he became a prophet? Do You guys remember? The moon split, yes. Yes, as the Prophet was on a journey, an expedition, and he visited, and he saw a woman, and the woman said that this, this, uh, this animal that we have has no milk, and the Prophet said, let me handle this. And he said into his hands, and he began to milk the animal. And this animal is old, old animal, there's no way it's gonna produce milk. And he said, let me handle this, right? And he started milking the animal, and he told everybody from his expedition to drink, and then he drank last. Okay, another miracle of the Prophet was that there was a little bit of food, he had to feed his whole army. He covered the plate. He said, enter into the tent, you know, two by two, three by three, like very small groups. Eat from here and then leave and keep it moving. And I'm going to be spooning from the plate. But will keep it covered. Okay? And he fed an entire army like this, even though there was a very, it was a very small dish. All these miracles happened. Okay? But you know what's interesting? None of them were happening when he needed or when he thought he needed it. When the Quraysh came and challenged him, He's waiting for 14 days, what do you think he's asking for? Oh, well, like give me a miracle, <laughs> like give me something. These people are doubting my very existence, like look, all the miracles that happened, guys there are hadith narrations that say that there were thousands of miracles that occurred. All these things. People would hear the trees and the rocks say salam to him, they'd be walking, as-salam wa what's that? He's like, Never mind. All this is happening. But during that time when he thought he needed it most, there was nothing. But then right after he showed his patience, right after he displayed his commitment, the miracles came like like waves. Whatever he needed started happening. This is another example of what? If you stay the course when times are difficult, Allah will be with you when you need Him. You have to demonstrate that commitment. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam stayed, and after that, that maybe Allah will guide me to that which is truly guided succession. And, and subhanAllah the tafsir mentions, look at all the proofs of his prophethood that happened after that moment. Every single thing, starting with the revelation of this surah as it came. Okay? Um, the other thing that happens that the scholars mentioned, and we'll finish with this, insha'Allah. Uh, is the scholars mentioned that one thing that's a gift for every Muslim. Do you guys ever see, like, a news report that just validates something that you believed in as a Muslim for your life? Did you guys see the recent one about Bill Gates' foundation, their discovery about alcohol? Did you guys see that? Oh, look it up. Bill Bill and Melinda Gates' foundation just discovered that something like, I forgot, they said an age on the study, but we know that they'll fix that later. They said that. There is... Quote, zero benefit and only harm in ingesting any alcohol for uh, people under the age of like 48 or something. I forget what the age was. Zero. And the world is losing its mind. Because remember up until like recently for 20 years in New York Times was like, yeah, red wine's not bad. And you got like people drinking, Lebron James is like, it's pretty good for your heart and all this kind of stuff. And everyone's like, yeah. Now this like objective study is saying, no, actually it only causes harm to your existence. Meanwhile, every Muslim in the world is like, SubhanAllah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know that it like, looks at Muslim, words are like, right? Allah, in this ayah, is telling us that, that that Rashadah, that rush that you're experiencing, when the world catches up to what you've already known, because you've been following Revelation, that feeling of, hmm, took you long enough, right? It's a gift from Allah. That He has given you guidance that other people are just now, 1,400 years later, starting to realize, right? So when I saw that article, I literally laughed. Because I remember as a kid growing up, when I was in college or I was in high school, I remember there was an article that said that in small amounts, alcohol is very good for your body. And I remember some kids in the MSA being like, how do we deal with this? SubhanAllah. All right, let's give a whole series on it. And I'm like, man, just relax. It's fine. Like It was a study. Studies can be manipulated, right? Statistics, this and that. It is what it is. And then I said, and then look at this information coming out now, subhanAllah. And again, if a, if a new study comes out tomorrow, right, the Anheuser-Busch Foundation comes out with this study, says alcohol is great, you know? Anheuser-Busch is an alcohol company, by the way. That was a lot funnier than that was received. Okay, so they said, you know, they say it's fine, it's great. The reality is that it doesn't matter what they say because we know, the, we know the reality. It's been revealed to us by Allah, okay? But that feeling of congruence between what Allah has already told you and what you realize or come to know as your own life experience or come to know knowledge is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what Allah Ta'ala tells us uh, in the Quran. Okay? Uh, and then Allah Ta'ala continues and He says, وَلَبِثُوا wa tisa'. That, then they stayed, Allah Ta'ala gives us the answer. How many years did they say? He said they stayed 300 years and adding to that, nine. 300 years and adding to that, nine. What does that mean? You guys know what that means? What's 300 adding nine? What is it? Usually we don't have a lot of math majors here. What's 300 adding nine? So it's 309, but you know what's crazy? You guys ready? You guys ready for this? Put on your flowies because this is going to get deep. What calendar does the Muslim community follow? Lunar calendar. How many days... A year is the lunar calendar short compared to the solar calendar or the Gregorian calendar? 11 ish, right? Depending on like the. So, subhanAllah, Ali radiallahu he said this verse is including the solar and the lunar calendar. Because he says they stayed in the cave 300 solar years. But if you're counting by lunar, you add 9. Because every 100 years, is three more years in the lunar calendar. So Allah Ta'ala here is giving both accountabilities. Because why? Ahlul Kitab used to use a solar calendar, but the Muslims used the lunar calendar. So He said, based on their story, remember these people come back to the Prophet, He said, how many years were they there? So instead of giving them one answer, He says, oh, according to y'all, 300, but according to us, 309. Next. <laughs> Boom, roasted, right? Like the confidence. Allah didn't even just give him one answer. It's a multiple choice test. He gave him both answers. Why? Because if you stick to the revelation, you're going to have not just one step, but two steps ahead of everything that comes your way. Okay? We'll go ahead and wrap up here, inshallah, for this week. And then we'll finish, uh, uh, the, we'll start the next passage next week. So we ask Allah to give us the wisdom of the stories of Ka'af. We ask Allah to give us the principle of these young men that stayed in this cave to protect their faith. We ask Allah to give us the wisdom of holding our tongue in moments that we want to engage in debate and discussion. We ask Allah to allow us to be people that do not destroy others with our words, but we hold our words back and we only engage in speech when our speech is more beautiful than remaining silent. We ask Allah to allow us to be like the Prophet in every way and that he protect our faith and give us the feelings of guidance that we need as we journey along the path of life. I mean, does anyone have any questions before we wrap up, inshallah? We have a few minutes before Melville uh, comes in. Yeah? Uh, you mentioned uh, stuff that we're not allowed to pick on when arguing. One was, don't pick on the word usage, the other was intention. Yeah, so three. So word choice, if somebody uses certain words, it's it's a sign of failure, of character, for, to pick on somebody's word choice, okay? Uh, to pick at the meaning of what they're saying, like if you if, if they have an alternative way of expressing it, a different meaning, you know what they're saying, but they're they're using different uh, you know words to express that meaning, and then the last is their intention. Don't question the intention of the person that you're engaging with, right? Because then again, you're just avoiding every one of those. You're just avoiding the. Yeah, so the hadith here. I'll give you the, uh, the Arabic. So the hadith starts by saying, al-mirah wa Very interesting. The prophet says that whoever abandons disputing and you're wrong and they're wrong, it's <laughs> just so funny to me because it's just like, well, they are awarded to. He says, fi fi jannah that they will be given a house on the outskirts of Jannah, the Denton. Remember, and they abandon it, but they are correct. Bunya fi wasatiha. That they will be given a house in the middle. أعلائها, and whoever perfects their character along the way, like when they give it up, they don't rub it in somebody's face, then Allah Ta'ala will give them a house in the uh, highest portion of paradise. Yeah. The hadith is narrated by Imam al Okay. Anyone else? Anything? Any questions at all? Okay. I have a yeah. So uh, about the, uh, the attitude has to be good when you're ending a conversation or an argument. Mm. So is that, does that include your inner feelings? Like, so outwardly you have to be nice, but inside you have to also like also like that you're doing that, or be okay with that you, even though you want to argue, for instance. Mm. Okay, so the question is, like, as you're ending it, does your inner also have to be in a good place, or can you be like upset and fuming, but just like, be really good at hiding it? So this is a good question. Uh, ideally, the person would be, you would, you would actually be able to let go, ideally. Okay, and you wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't bother you. But re- realistically, as a human being, you might have some things that bother you, and so it's very difficult for a person just to simply let go. The reality is that as you spend more time working on it and becoming convinced of the virtue of not arguing, you will probably hold on to things less. So as you convince yourself, because the thing is, the inner starts to become like the outer, sorry, the opposite. The inner starts to match what you should feel when you become convinced that it's actually right. We force ourselves to pray when we tell ourselves that I have to pray. But I'm internally motivated to pray when I believe that I actually benefit from prayer. And it's actually the thing that I should do. So if I keep telling myself, you know what, just let the person win, just ignore, just ignore, yeah, there will be a dissonance between what you feel and what you are displaying. You're gonna be displaying complete you know, benevolence, oh, okay, no problem. Inside you're just on fire. But then when you start to realize, you know what, the less that I engage in this conversation and debate, like the less I'm destroying my character, the less I am making myself vulnerable to anger and hasad and all these horrible things, your inner will actually incline towards that more quickly. And you'll actually just how it starts happening, you'll just stop caring about engaging in these debates with people. You know, someone will want to come up to you and start talking, you're like, I really doesn't you know, whatever you whatever you prefer, whatever you like. You know, I don't have to win every argument. So it does take time but we ask the Latale to give us an easy path there. yeah. And it happens, especially, how old are you? I'm 22. 22, yeah. So it happens as you get older as well, to be quite honest with you, right? Anyone agree with me? Anyone here older? Yeah. You just stop caring when you get older. You're like, yeah, I don't really I care. care. It's 110, I just wanna take a nap. You know, like, you know, I really, <laughs> people that, this is the thing, man, when I was your age, people asked me, like, what do you think? And I would have like a thesis statement on everything what do you think about this? And I'm like, let me tell you, thank you for asking. And I would just go on and on, right? There's videos of me me when I was younger. I am like, burn it down, get rid of everything right now. People are like, what do you think? I'm like, I don't think I don't like, I really don't. And again, not because I don't think that people should have opinions on it, but number one, I'm not prepared to have an opinion on it. And number two, there are people much more intelligent, much more qualified, much more trained and much more eloquent than myself who can give you a variety of opinions on things. So, my biggest regret being 34 now of my 20s is not not keeping silent enough i wish that i stayed quiet more just just flat like there's no there's no like long explanation i just wish i was more quiet right i looked at my friends who were quiet around me and i secretly wanted to be like them the ability to hold their tongue the ability not to say everything because i knew that they had less regrets than me i knew it you know so we ask Blatada to give us that, Shalom. Better late than never. Alright. In the spirit of that, I'm going to be quiet. Alright, so now I want you to go.